HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. And you know, it's a special night tonight. We are back in the studio at Roberta's Pizza. It's Wednesday, and it's uh, February 2024, and it's our 700th episode. This will be coming out uh, probably in at the end of February or early March 2024. want to give a big shout-out to Roberta's Pizza, who's been the host of our studio now going into our 15th year, and I'm just really proud to have been working with Heritage Radio Network and Roberta's Pizza for, for the, such a long time. Um, one of my favorite... Uh, Regular guest is here tonight, and it turns out that to celebrate our 700th episode, we thought we would, and much deserved, be tasting some food from Roberta's, the original Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and with with, with some beer. So, James, this this isn't an ordinary group of beer guys. They're, they're, this is a special crew with some high level credentials absolutely absolutely jimmy i mean you got to come with the big guns you know when we're going to do some real live tasting you know with beer and food you know on site so uh when you're coming with roberta's and some of the finest beers in the world you have to bring some of the finest palace and so we got you know two of my uh, favorite people in the industry uh, maybe maybe one and a half of people <laughs> in my favorite industry uh we got we got max finesse and we got shane mcnamara so uh introduce yourselves good people yeah, I'm Max Finance. I'm the Senior Manager of Education and Training for Artisanal Brewing Ventures. So that's Six Point Brewery, Victory, and Southern Tier Brewing Company as well. Uh, Shane McMurray, I'm the Global Director of Beer Passion and Beyond Beer Innovation at AB InBev. And I'm James. I'm very curious, who's the one and who's the half? You know, Shane. We all know. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> So it's, a, it's actually 1.25 and 0.25. <laughs> so do, do I have to tell people what a master cistrone is? I mean, the two of you have, have reached that level. But let's start with, with Max. This is my first time having you on the show. How did you get to that level? Because you, you were working in beer, I know, at Six Point not too long ago. 
Yeah, uh, I started at Six Point originally in a sales role about eight years ago, and the road to Master Cicerone is just a road to uber geekery. You know, uh, I love beer, I love reading books, I love learning, so reading every book I could get my hands on about beer, uh, connecting with some other really smart people like Shane and James, and especially the jump from advanced to master, uh, quite a significant jump and one that you could probably do solo, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Uh, so the more time you can spend with super smart guys like these, the better you're going to be. And how did going up the ranks of Cicerone improve your career prospects? You, you know, that's a great question. I think for me personally, the advanced Cicerone was the qualification that maybe did the most for my career. Uh, I, I did my certified beer server when I was a brand ambassador for Captain Lawrence Brewing Company. I got my uh, certified Cicerone when I was there as well, actually, and then got my advanced pretty quickly after I got my sales job at Six Point. So when I got my advanced Cicerone, Six Point created a new role for me doing education and quality, which is similar to what I'm doing right now. And that was sort of the one that catapulted me from a normal sales role into a custom-made role that's what I love to do on a daily basis. That's great. And Shane, just re re recount a little bit about how you got to be Master Cicerone and how it's helped your career and everything. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I started the journey probably in 2018 uh, from recollection. I was working with Shibroon Distilling at the time, which is a lot of education for brewers and distillers, so more in the industry, um, focused internally. And then that's a little bit of, we had the the, the beer academy at the time uh, in Shibroon Distilling, so I got into the beer sommelier side. Um, and that was when the, the, the Cicerone organization was starting to spread its wings per se globally or around that time is, is what I would say between probably 2015, 2018, by 2018, kind of out, it, it was well-established uh, a little bit more in other markets. And then uh, it, it kind of, I think anyone who takes this journey, probably James and Max can testify as well as you're eternally interested in beer. So it's going on this education and, and learning journey. And so why wouldn't I um, find an interest in the organization and, and an interest in going on the Cicerone journey. And it's kind of that, Hey, if I can, the more I learn and, and, and the more I'm interested in it, it's, it's not study at that point. It's just, it, it's your hobby is your passion. You kind of get to continue with that as well, which I, I really enjoyed. And so, uh, it, it's been a, a key benefit to my career in terms of, right. As, as you go up through the ranks in terms of, uh, Certified beer server, certified Cicerone, advanced Cicerone, master Cicerone. It was uh, a, a very key cap, uh, feather in my cap uh, of my career. I have a master's in brewing science as well, so a very technical background as well. Um, but it was it was something that made me complete in terms of internal, pardon me, and external to the company in terms of um, how it can operate and, and be of value. Yeah, and what do you do with AB? Do they send you to far off locations you're getting your hands dirty in the back of a beer bar i <laughs> not so much these days i i have um uh, a very enviable role in that i do a, i look at in terms of the like I mean, we have 500 brands right and we we're talking about it today actually at work and we were talking about really beer cultural moments um and sometimes it's translation of that and, and uh, the thing we're talking about today as an example is we're talking about the Stella Artois pour and what's the ritual within Belgium because you have you know they have the, the way they pour the beer in terms of like they'll have the sacrifice they'll let the beer run out then they'll put the the glass under they'll fill it up there's an overspill uh then they do the cut and there's a little bit of an explanation behind that but I come in at the moment is looking at what's the science behind that why do they let it spill out why do that in the first place? Why let it, the foam over um, over pour over the glass and then cut it off? What does that do to the beer as well? Uh, and like that's a whole podca podcast in and of itself. And so 
it's really explaining the rituals behind it and, and does it make a taste impact? You bet it does. Um, it'll lower the bitterness, it'll make it smoother, give a more sweet perception to it. And so a lot of that is sometimes translating the technical aspects to the consumer or understanding, well, if the consumer is telling me they're saying, hey, this beer is smoother and less bitter, or the consumers, if we're doing, let's say, an insight study, they're saying this uh, acidity level is just about right. What does that mean and how can we make something fit that within a, a, a beer recipe? It's a little bit of that as well. So it's, it's, it's translation both ways, which is a really fun role. So it, it, it's, it's pretty great. I'm sure you are everything beer and, and it's amazing. So to, to, to bring us into a little focus today, James, uh, we, we were talking about coming to Roberta's on the 700th episode yep. and tasting a, a few items from the menu. So let's start with, with the food. You, you guys all ordered a few things off the Roberta's menu. So each of you picked a dish. What did you order? James. Yeah. Um, well, I went with the Induja, um, which is essentially it's like a Calabrian South Italian um, kind of like a pork spread of sorts, like a really spicy, you know, uses a, the like a really fiery Calabrian chili. I think it's chili. fermented sausage, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you get a little bit of funk there. And it's going to be really interesting. You know, I think we have some beers here that might work. I mean, this is going to just be a fun real-time exercise, and uh, we're all just going to taste together and, you know, see the see what we get. What beer do you think will go with this? Initially, um, you know, just, you know, in, in reverence of, of Max being here, you know, we have a Southern Tier two-time Xmas. Um, and Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about this beer? Two Xmas is our preferred pronunciation, just for the record. Oh. Uh, but So this is uh, basically a dark, strong ale that we've added all of the uh, typical sort of holiday winter spices too, right? It gets fig paste, it gets orange peels, cardamom, which maybe is a little bit less typical, and then cinnamon and clove and nutmeg as well. Uh, so a, a really nice sort of inspired by a glue vine, uh, a spiced mold wine from Europe, but applied to a dark, strong beer. So this uh, so, pump, pumpkin for Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pumpkin for Christmas, for sure. That's cool. And, and what, did, what did you pick for food? Uh, so the dish that I pulled off the menu is a roasted cauliflower with, with lemon zest. And uh, I thought that would have some really nice smoky notes to it, heavy char, some, some real roast characteristics. One of the beers that James brought is a smoked Hellas from Schilling. So that might end up being a little bit on the nose for a pairing, but I, I thought it might also work really nicely. Nice light beer with a lighter sort of protein substitute, right? Sometimes cauliflower gets a bad name as a uh, steak substitute for vegans, but I think it's more than that, too. And Shane, what's another dish that we ordered? Uh, I decided to throw the duck tortellini at us, um, just just out of curiosity, because you never know how, how rich the duck is going to come across. First time having it, um, and I think we have enough beers on the table that I'm hoping we can pair something with it. I see uh, an English old owl, we've got some Belgian pale owls, we've got even Max's 2 xms I've been just Curious. I mean, this is a very much a thought exercise as well as a practical exercise. So, uh, a lot of this is blind. Now that this yeah, is, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. We we have like a a Trey Fontainen uh, Oud Brune here too, which would be really kind of fascinating to see how that kind of you know interacts with that yeah. with that tour leading. Yeah, and then also just to give a shout out again to Roberta's, they've all they're leaders of of the wine lists and and cocktails, but they've also always have a stellar beer selection. So we walked in and Mike Amadi, the, the new the director of operations, who many of you might know from Torst, um, what, what did he recommend to us? 
we've got a Suarez, one of our, our friends from uh, up in Germantown, New York. I was just going to say, first beer in our glass is the Suarez uh, Qualify Pills, which is a great, slightly rustic pills, but really nice. Uh, I'll take a splash Grain that, character please. as well. And then we also have uh, Suarez Blend 12 Domain, which is a blend of their country house beers. Which is a uh, courtesy of Roberta's as well. So Absolutely. A lot, lot, of, lot of, There's always something here for everyone, and in particular the beer. Um, so, what you know, let, let's do the order. So I, I want to start with the sweet breads. Let's do it. Because uh, I feel like they have the least shelf life. You know, they're fried <laughs> like a calamari. In fact, when they came out, Shane, you kept asking for, what did you think they were? Calamari. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I had it. And then Perhaps, it's my you know, first time having it. In the sure. whatever the the makeup of the of the meat, it might be the same type of tissue. It's sweetbreads and calamari. They might be related <laughs> in the evolutionary chain. I'm not sure. Hmm. But, well, well, we I mean we were talking off air about the, the industry. The it was interesting to see like you know like sequentially like what do you start with? Do you start with the food? You start with the beer when it comes to like a pairing or, you know, like even even if you're head, you know, like, uh, you know, I throw this question out to everybody at the table, you know, like what's your philosophy, you know, in terms of pairing beer and food, you know, where are you coming from? Is it very scientific? You know, is it more artistic or, you know, are you coming from a specific place, you know, when you're when you're approaching this this endeavor? For me, I think food pairing as a general rule tends to be more artistic, less scientific and. In, in my experience, I think there's uh, just as many misses as there are home runs, right? And, and that's why I think it's absolutely necessary to try all these things. I, I would never design a food pairing menu for customers without tasting it first. Uh, I think it's a good way to set yourself up for failure. So some of the pairings we tried tonight might not work at all, but hopefully we'll get some home runs as well. Let's, let's taste the sweet breads and, and what do you taste? And, and I guess each of you should pick a beer to taste with it since we have so many beers. <laughs> I mean, I taste, right, well, if I I get, taste salt. If I get to pick first, I'm going to stick with this Qualify Pills because I think uh, yep. th this is a pretty nice pairing right off the bat for this sweet bread. Right? The sweet bread is, like you said, salty. Uh, you obviously get that batter, bready character coming through here. Sweet breads are, they bring a little bit of an earthiness to the table, but it's a fairly mild flavor profile. I think a lot of the beers we have in front of us are going to be too intense for this to pair very well. Uh, but even a little bit of lemon zest characteristic coming through from this Pilsner and, you know, a little bit of grassiness. And I think that works well with the sweetbreads. I'm going to shout out for Roberta's. The, the sweetbreads are delicious. They've got like a Frito Misto kind of, it, there's a really great batter on it. Well, and just like salt at the end, James. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing about sweetbreads. It's typically you, you really don't know what you're going to get. And that Max had a great point. You know, you really, you, you have to taste through first, you know, especially if you're working, you know, from the food side. Um, I was expecting this particular dish to be a little bit heavier, you know, a little bit more, more meaty, more creamy across the palate. And you're not really getting that. It's very light. You know, it's, it's, hey, it's, it's a shade. It's almost calamari-like, you know, in, in terms of like the way it expresses itself. So um, I originally was going to go with the Old Peculiar, which is an old ale, because it's got a little bit of dried fruit notes, some, some caramel, a little bit of toffee notes to it. I don't know if it's honeycomb or bonfire. Um, and I thought it would play like, you know, a nice little balance in terms of like mouthfeel and counterpart in terms of intensity. Uh, but now I'm going back and I, I think, you know, Max is probably like, you know, going on the right, the right vector here, you know, it's kind of keeping it light with, with the beer pairing. And what is the beer pairing? We did the, the Suarez, but now we're on to something new. What's the next pour? So the can that Shane just opened for us is the Schilling Brewing 
Uh, it's called Glemon, and this is their smoked Hellas. Uh, Schilling up in Littleton, New Hampshire. Really great lager specialists up there. Shane? Um, yeah, I, I, this is it's an interesting one, because I when I was looking through the beer list, I actually had a similar thought train as, uh, as James in terms of uh, old people, like old owl, they have like a Belgian parallel, but the the smoked hellers is a is a really good curveball, and you got to think about these kind of beers, particularly in smoked hellers. They're not most people when they have a smoked beer, they're thinking of the Schlinker smoke marts, and that is overtly on top smoke. You drink it, the smoke, you exhale the smoke. With a lot of the hellers, and when they're really well done, it's not too intense on the aroma. It's all retronasal, so you sip the beer and you go, "Ha, huh, there's the smoke." And I was a bit worried when I, I initially smelled it. It was like, oh, crap, there's the smoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're having like, okay. And to, to your point before is actually when you're setting up the pairing, if you don't taste the beer, the food first, and then if you don't drink the beer first, you'll never know what they're going to be like together. So you have to set yourself up for success in terms of try them individually and then see what they're like together. A lot of people want to go straight into it. But if you don't get that first bite of food, if you don't get that first sip of the beer, you're not going to know what whether what one plus one is, right? You've, you've already got the combination there, so you don't know what they're like separate and whether it actually works. Um, this one, actually, is, it, I think it's, it's a, a really good pairing is when you when you exhale, there's like a smoky nature that comes back to it because it's such a simple palate. It's, you're right, it's not a complex um, food pairing. So, okay, if it's salty, something a little bit better is going to balance out quite well. Uh, and we were sipping on the pills in a while while having that. So it's like, okay, you've got... Um, high sweetness, high bitterness is going to balance each other out, generally. Um, and then you've got a nice little bit of smoke finish on there. I think it's a nice little complexity without completely transforming that effect that I'm just having a beer and, and a deep-fried sweetbread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I guess to get back to your original question and to give you a straightforward answer to, you know, what's the order here, order of operations? Um, I mean, I'll, like, do you, what do you pick first? Yeah, right, what, what do you pick first, right? T- to answer that question... Uh, the first thing that I consider, and I think most of us would consider when we think about food pairing and beer pairing, is the intensity of the dishes compared to the intensity of the beverage, right? You don't want either one to be much more intense and really overwhelm the opposite one. Um, I tend to err on the side of picking less intense beverages to the food. So I like to pick up the glass of beverage first, take a sip of that beer, then take a bite of the food, and then take another sip of the beer to see, you know, with that second sip, how are they interacting together? What What are some, when people are trying to put together a, a, a food and, and drink pairing, because there's all combinations, and sometimes I'll use a wine or a cider instead of a beer. Um, I, I don't have the words, but I know that you guys do. So, example from last week, I was at a Scotch dinner, a Robbie Burns dinner, <laughs> and they started us off with, oyster and we slurped the oyster and we poured some uh, 12 year old scotch not smoky in um in the shell and drank it and there was a brininess and as i was talking to some of the people i was sitting with i said you know it's not that unusual it's almost like putting olive or olive juice in a martini so that's how i related to the experience of drinking from an oyster shell with some oyster juice in it i how do you break that down? Like that, 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 those type of tastes or is it contrasts? What, what, are, what are good terms to decide? You know, same thing as olive in a martini, pickle juice in a drink. I mean, from my perspective, like I, I really want to champion 
the actual components of every single dish and you know how it, it'll react with the food. So with the oyster example here, I almost want to take a step back. It's like, well, tell me what species of oyster that you're using. You know, are you using gigas, you know, which has a little bit more of that, what we expect with Wellfleet, you know, with uh, Blue Point, you know, it's got that salinity, a little bit of that brightness, or is it more like a, I'm sorry, gigas would be, would be the West Coast. Virginica, which has that, gigas would have a little bit more of those melon cucumber notes to it, you know, which doesn't really work well with like a whiskey with the single malt. So, you know, I always, I think it's a missed opportunity when you talk about a beer to food pairing and you leave it very superficial in Too terms broad. of how you, yeah. And so like, I always kind of want to press like, well, what, what type, where's this coming from? You know, like how, how does this compare to, you know, like a Welsher, uh, you know, versus like a Kuruboda pork, you know, like how does that look? So, you know, that's, that's where I come from. And that's, that's what I like to talk about. That's a good point. I think that's James's true technical passion is actually oysters. I love oysters, <laughs> without question. I, I yes. didn't know and love oysters until I met James, really. I, I mean, I had the odd one. And then coming to the U.S. in general, like the the different going through the different species, East Coast, West Coast, and looking around the world and brininess versus fresh and the size of them. I think it, it's good. Now I finally get to, you get to be the technical person. And when we talk to Jimmy's question on what happens when you put, you know, an oily component in with high alcohol, I, like for me, I, I take a step back and, and I think a dirty martini is actually a really good example because mm-hmm. you have, let's say if you do a vodka based one, you have high ethanol content, a high amount of burn there. But when you start putting in fats and oils, <clears throat> pardon me, which would come from an olive brine, you're taking off those hot, burning notes of it and so as the drink itself you're making it more complete so yeah if i'm thinking about it from a beer perspective as well as saying hey what oil components and what fatty components are coming from that dish and what are some of the harsher notes that i can kind of knock off actually um with that into the beer so if it's let's say it's a high abv beer let's say it's a really bitter beer if i have a high fat or high oil content beer you can marry them out together and and it's more extrapolated when it comes to a pardon me a a, a dirty martini um but that's a great example and and oysters is a really interesting component because you have right the different types of oysters then you have the stuff you might put on top. Yeah, and in this case, you know, the different types of whiskeys too. Mm-hmm. You're talking about lowland, which is going to taste a lot different from Isla. So, you know, it's it's about being a lot more conscientious between these pairings. Yeah, and, and to both of the points that they were just raising, you know, I think that a lot of people out there have maybe been to a wine pairing dinner, been to a beer pairing dinner, and they've left there sort of unimpressed or, or at least just not blown away uh, because I think the general approach to pairing that we take, especially in this country, is broad strokes and broad rules, right? Red wine for red meat, white wine for fish and chicken. And in my mind, that sets you up for just a massive disappointment or at least an underwhelming experience. I think maybe your average consumer doesn't need to go as deep with their oyster varieties as James would, uh, although I love that about James, absolutely. I truly love it about James. But uh, the example that I always like to use is you know, I can't give you a beer pairing for a burger because a burger is not a singular experience, right? If we change the bread or the protein or the sauces or the accoutrement on the burger, that's going to change the whole meal in such Pro- a way. Providence of the meat. Right, right. Mm-hmm. We, we might change Oil it. Oil is cooked in. Without even talking about the species of pig or, you know, the, the heritage breed of pig that, uh, you know, James wants to bring <laughs> into the conversation. A pork burger versus a turkey burger versus a beef burger are going to be three different beers that I would bring to the table to suggest. 
can I build on that? And, and here's a slight provocation uh, into that is... These uh, guys are smiling, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> they never get to talk about this stuff. <laughs> um, when, it's right. And, and then you're talking about broad strokes in this, pardon me, um, in this area. And then it's like, well, how broad is the stroke? And so I'm <laughs> building into this um, point is you're, you're talking about, okay, um, different burgers and then different condiments on top. And if we think in this space is, okay, you have a whole beer style area, right? One of the criticisms in this area is actually, is, hey, it, beer styles is too broad of a sprite. You should actually be doing it down to the brand or recommendation like that. How do you close that bridge between pragmatics and actually, yeah, here's the most amazing beer pairing ever. And yes, because I've, I know the structure of the beer, I've got the recipe, I've got the reasons I've tasted before, and I've made the dish perfectly for that. Yes, that is in an enclosed space, the perfect way to do it, but that's not how the real world works. How do you close the gap between the truism of like, yeah, down to the individual beer to the style? Yep, absolutely. What, what did you pour, Max? Now we're, we're going to keep going through this. We have a lot of beers here, more beers than courses. And then James, what 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 dish should we taste next? Because so, I was thinking of the food progression. Mm -hmm. We started with, I, we did the sweetbreads first because they're more like a Fred Misto. It wasn't awful. It wasn't, Mm -mm. There was no, no like innards flavors. That's what you were probably yep, thinking. Right, really This clean. is super fresh and clean sweetbreads and and little pieces, just like a Fredo Misto. Want it hot? So next, what 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 food would you have next without the beer? Without the beer, seeing what's on our table right now, I would probably go with the with the cauliflower. To be honest with you, you know, in terms of kind of building that intensity, you know, I know speaking from the Cicerone school, you're, 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 you know, when you're kind of building a beer dinner, it's, it's all about intensity, like increasing. And so I think the, uh, the cauliflower would be the one. So we'll, yeah. we'll try that. And then what did you pour, Max? And we just poured the Thiexton Old Peculiar, which is another one of the beers that James brought. I'll let him give us a, a quick intro to this beer. Yeah, no, well, you're, you're talking about like a, a beer from the British style, um, essentially, Flavor-wise, you know, you're going to get notes, again, like of a little bit of chocolate. There, there might be some light caramel that's going on there. Maybe some some not-as-fatty nuts um, that, that are in this. Um, a lot of dried fruit as well. You know, you're going to get, like, you know, these, these notes of almost like fruitcake, you know, that's going on. And because the beer is older, it's a little bit more oxidized. So it might express some fortified wine notes, like some sherry or Madeira. Um, and so this was my original... Like, you know, before tasting the, the sweetbreads, I thought that I might go in the direction of the Steakston. No, I'm just eating the cauliflower. Oh, it's delicious. So what, what is it? The description of the cauliflower is, what is it? Yeah, it's it's pretty much like a smoked cauliflower. Um, let's see, what do we have? A little bit of bagna cauda and lemon zest there. Like anchovy paste. And... Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. The other day I cooked a steak. It was a really good dry aged Beef steak from Brunson Meats, Chef Johnson, Justin Brunson in uh, in Colorado, and you guys might know this guy Ben Ben Middlemess. He's always on, he's a brewer and teacher in uh, New Zealand, and we were talking about what what beer to pair, and I just said you know brown ale or something like this, a lot, a lot of savory food. Talking about styles of beer, like it was great to start with the with the, the fried sweetbreads with with the pilsner, but this is a this is a beer. We talk about what kind of beers to drink when you're eating. Right. This is the kind of beer I want to drink when I'm eating. Mm -hmm. Now, help, help me qualify that for our listeners. What what am I trying to say? Max? <laughs> you know, when you talk about like beers for food, 
my first gut reaction is to go to the Belgian tradition because I think so many Belgian beers are just built to be had with food. But I agree with you on this old peculiar too. I think that, uh, you know, the fact that beer in general brings that malt forward presence, which is always a good pairing for food. Um, just to back up a step here, you know, I love wine. I love cider. I drink a lot of both at home. But beer naturally sets itself up for food pairings in a way that sort of those other two categories don't have an advantage just because of the scope of flavors that you can find in beer, right? We're working with four ingredients here if you include water, plus the fact that beer culture is so much more broad and accepting of brewers that want to throw Snickers bars into the mash tun, right? Mm. <laughs> you, you can find beers with any flavor under the sun. Um, so, so beer is, is a good step in the right direction. Um, and then this beer in particular, right, it, it's that rich, uh, I think, the, you know, Maillard and caramelization flavors from the malt, those dark fruit flavors coming forward from both fermentation and from your malt bill. It, it really does set itself up nicely for any sort of food that has, uh, you know, some roast or some caramelization on it like this cauliflower does. And here's the interesting point, too. When you think about a cauliflower, I think we all reflexively want to go to something that's a little bit lighter in color, a little bit lighter in body. But you know, actually tasting through this, and this is one of the big things about beer and food pairing, you've got to try it, you know, you got to try different things. I think it works fairly well with this cauliflower because it's it's got a dryness to it. And again, you know, obviously with the oxidation, you know, a little bit of those like fortified wine notes to it. But you have to think about the, the Maillard reactions that are happening with with a, with a cauliflower. And so it can stand up to a little bit more heft, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a beer pairing. So I guess the takeaway is like, don't be afraid to don't don't color coordinate every single time when you're when you're having like a beer and food pairing you know don't be afraid to kind of like switch things up a little bit because you never know what's going to happen and I, I do feel with even just researching the show tonight not not to diss anyone but i feel like most of the beer industry breweries when they when they have suggested recipes or beer and food pairing are very basic but i also feel like a lot of the food misses the mark it's like dated does it have to be a braised shortbread you know a short, i'm not short does it have to be a braised short rib does it have to be a pork dish like having, uh, we had braised braised sweetbreads, which was basically a, a Fredo misto. I keep saying that, <laughs> a little Italian f- fried treats, and then this this cauliflower with bagnacotta and smoked. I mean, this this is how people eat now, yep. you know. And there, I don't really think there's anyone else out there talking about pairings with the way we eat now. I think that that's a great prompt to the industry in terms of it's like to take to extrapolate it. It's like trying to pair a beer with a prawn cocktail like the 70s yeah, right, right. And, and it's true we're still stuck on a lot of these what you'd say is a classic combination but the classics now it's they're not what people are eating by and large and I think it's a little bit of self-realization it's like okay the prawn cocktail era is gone we know that and so right, and if I'm going to have a burger mm-hmm. at a brewery I'm going to drink the beer I want I'm not really yeah. going to care yeah. I'm not looking for the pairing but something like this I mean Talk more about the flavors on this cauliflower. So it's slightly smoked. It's not raw, but it's it's firm. But that sauce, you now it's bagnacotta. That's like an yeah. anchovy paste sauce. But it's not doesn't taste anchovies. Right. It, it what what it's doing? It's lending like you know a heft of umami into the dish. So you get like you know a, a, like a really there's a depth of flavor you know in this cauliflower that you wouldn't get otherwise with it. And so. Again, getting back to why it works fairly well with Thiexton's is because it's able to kind of withstand, you know, a lot of those those Maillard reactions and those Maillard notes that are coming from the beer. What What's the best beer and food pairing dinner you've ever been to? And I know you've each had one. There, there's got to be one. I, I remember I'm, I remember from my early days in the industry when I went to a really good wine 
dinner by by a great rep, and it had you know some classic French wines, and and there were a lot of typical pairings, but it seems that the the wine industry had been practicing these for fifty or hundred years. So of course we had sweet sweetbreads. Of course we had a, a, a rich meat dish with a sauce. Of course there was a typical dessert, but it was brilliant, you know, and 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 I got it. But I haven't really had that with beer. And I've been to a lot of beer and food dinners. Right. You know, uh, for me, and this is this is where you kind of look at like a beer dinner and, and you say to yourself, well, what is what's the start of the show? And so this is kind of counterintuitive, but I probably about 10 years ago, and Jimmy, you were there too. Uh, this was at the Gingerman, you know, 36, you know, like a... RIP, you know, a great place back in the day. But if you recall, Patrick Rue, you know, formerly of the brewery, you know, he had a, a beer and cheese pairing event. Uh, and it's it's typically when you talk about beer and food, you know, like food kind of takes over. But the cheese is really very static, you know, when, when you're talking about something like that. And so you really need the beer to kind of like take over and to kind of to, to be the star of the show. And it really did that in spades. And, and I think that was a very memorable moment. And, and I, I think back to that a lot. Shane? Can, it's an interesting you call out Patrick Grew. I was going to uh, say, I've, I've been lucky to go to quite a few, but one that rings the bell is in 2016. So quite a while ago, it was actually in Paris. And I was, um, I'd actually officially had a previous role in looking to start a, a, a brew pub in Paris with a friend of mine that was there, uh, who's still there and, and, and does a lot of beer work in Paris at the moment. And it was a dinner with uh, Morella Amato, yeah. funnily enough. And it was they they had brought another Mazzis another Mazzis who as, and as is Patrick is yeah. Patrick Rue. Yeah. And and so I think the early thoughtfulness at the time and going to that dinner and I actually went to another beer dinner in, in, in that time, well, in 2016. But just so thoughtful, such um, an execution when the brewer goes in and works with the chef. And I think we talked about this in the last podcast, actually. When you go and do a beer dinner and you sit down with the chef and you build up and you iterate over the process, you could tell that was be done. For, that was done for that dinner, and it's something that sticks with me to this day. Do, do you remember and either the food or the or the pairings Zero. that you had? It's just a good dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was sort of gonna go to that last point first. Uh, th- there's two dinners that stick out for me. Neither of them do I specifically remember any of the pairings in particular. I couldn't tell you what beers or what dishes we had. Uh, I, I guess the sad thing is that, you know, for, for a long stretch here in the beer world, beer dinners were seen as a way to drive customers through the door to the point that chefs and bar managers didn't pay as much attention to how well they would be executed. So, so many chefs out there just wanted to hand you a menu and say, well, pick four beers and pair them to this menu. We're not going to change things. We're not going to adapt the menu to meet the beers. This is what we're cooking, like it or not, right? But one of the ones that, at least for my career, uh, maybe had the biggest single influence was back when I was bartending at a family Irish pub, I went to a Green Flash beer dinner up in Connecticut, uh, sort of on a whim. The wholesaler had told me about it. And I walked in and it was run by Green Flash's director of beer education, who at the time was Dave Adams, uh, advanced his own. I haven't talked to him in years. I have no idea if he's even still in the industry. But up until that moment, I didn't even realize that director of beer education could be a possible title. So, yes, I remember it being a great beer dinner. I remember the parents being in a sort of eye-opening. But for me, career-wise, that was also like, holy cow, I can make a career out of teaching people about beer? This guy has my dream job that I didn't even know about. Wow. Hey, you know, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. 
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's our 15th year, and congratulations, the 15th anniversary of Heritage Radio Network. It's coming up now in 2024. Uh, big shout out, it's also our 700th episode, and of course, we're recording in the mothership, the studio, at Roberta's Pizza, at the original location in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So thanks so much to Roberta's for all their support for 15 years, and we're tasting some of the foods from the menu uh, with some master cicerones and and some beer. So, take it away, guys. Shane, Max, and and James. And I, I want to get. We were talking about you know noted beer dinners you've been to. I was really lucky again about ten years ago. B United Imports had brought over in one year two different uh, brewery chefs uh, to to do uh, focused beer dinners. And these were these were German breweries from Bamberg. You know that there was Schlenkler was one of them. And I remember. Uh, they they worked it out in advance with the chef of a very simple menu that that went with their beers and there was another one with with Schneiderweiss and they were more just traditional uh, pairings and and food items from from the brewery uh, itself and and that must be cool to to be uh, if you're a brewery with 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 food but with a dedicated food program I mean uh, you would hope that that the pairings go well together right Shane yeah I think we talk about it. A fair bit at work, and it and it's interesting. It depends on the country as well. Like, what's driving it? Is it um, is beer and food a thing that's already there? So there is not much of a thought exercise that you need to do when you're in Belgium because those guys love beer and they love food, and <laughs> it's just natural to it. And I was thinking about it earlier today when we were talking about the podcast and and coming into this. It's like what what countries do you need to prop, and what people do you need to prompt to. Um, talk about beer and a food, beer and food together that is unique to someone, right? And I think to some extent we live in a bit of a thought bubble, particularly in the US and even the UK as well. It, you, if you're in this bubble, you may say, hey, how does someone not know about beer and food? How does it all this range? And yet the more you travel, the more you speak, and the wider your your net becomes, there is a bunch of people that go, I never thought of beer and food like this. And it's still flabbergasting, you know, even today in 2024, that response is still as valid and still as widespread as ever uh, to some extent. So I'd be, I'd be curious, Max, this is, is very much in your space and you're in a lot of those on-premises. What do you, what's your experience in there? Well, let's talk about what we have now. So we have a duck tortellini and we just tried some Yeah, the duck tortellini, duck tortellini just showed up. Uh, I just took a bite of that. Absolutely fantastic from Roberto's. And then we've just opened, you've heard the bottle pop as James pulled the cork from Drefontenen, their Nocturne, which is their take on a Oud Brune style. So a little bit 
out of their typical wheel, wheelhouse. Not a Lambic, not a Goose, uh, but I'm sure it has some of that influence in it. Does, does this pairing echo what you were talking about, Shane? I think it's an interesting pairing. I think it's a very powerful beer <laughs> for yep. James. For, for his talk, totally. I don't know much I can taste much after that, but um, <laughs> it's 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 thought. It's interesting when you go. It's it's. Let's take it back. It's like going through the thought exercise. Okay, let me put some beer and food in front of you, and I think this goes together. This is different because we're going through it live, and you're going to get, in my opinion, these kind of results where it's like, uh, something is way too intense for the other one. Um, but this is exactly what we're talking about. It's a, and, and yeah, this is classic Belgian beer yep. uh, and a Belgian style and a generally rich dish. And, and so it's like, okay, and this is what we have to do on the back end. And if you're going to elevate the experience, you have to do it properly because if you put that in front of someone, that's not far off the reverse of giving someone a burger and a beer recommendation. Do you know a burger and a light lager? That This is just the beer takes over the food. The other way is the food takes over the beer and like it's nothing is hurting each other, but nothing is doing to right. each other. Well, and I think that's a great point, you know, just getting back to the fact that you got to taste through everything, you know, before you make that pairing. On paper, you know, you think about duck, which is kind of like, it's, it's a lot fattier, it's richer, you know, it has like a little bit of kind of like funky tang to it. You know, you would think that it would stand up, you know, to the qualities of this particular beer. But again, you know, credit to Roberta's and their, their kitchen. And they make they make such like light and ethereal dishes that, you know, the beer does definitely overpower this particular dish. You know, I, I think the, the components are, you know, they, they are in alignment, you know, but one is just a little bit too intense compared to the other. I mean, Max, how would you describe the tortellini, the duck in it? I, I'm with both of these guys on this one. You know, I, I like this beer independently. I think it's a beautiful beer. Uh, I can't think of many beers I've had from Dreef on Time that I haven't loved. I, I love this dish, but they don't really sing together, right? It's not one plus one equals three. This is one plus one equals 1. 1.75. One, one plus one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, also, when, when we get to this beer, you know, the whole process of tasting everything, now that I'm on the spear, the dry fontaine, I kind of want to stop eating <laughs> and just sip and savor this beer. Yeah. So how, how do you go about sip and savoring? I know, I, know, I know everyone seems to know how to taste beer now. In fact, last week when I was tasting scotch whiskey, single malts, we were told to open our mouth when we breathe in through our nose. Now, maybe that's just for spirits. I've only heard that advice. Uh, and I've even heard open your mouth and breathe through your mouth, especially if you're drinking something that's cask strength or higher alcohol. Because when you, you know, if you start to nose a whiskey that's 140 proof or something like that, you can really just blow yourself away with the alcohol. But if you breathe through your mouth as you're inhaling there, you'll pick up some of the more delicate notes without that higher alcohol. It's just, just ripping you apart. And then this, this beer, you know, uh, yeah, this one came from Shane's collection, so tell us about this, Shane. <laughs> it did. Yeah, Shane. <laughs> this, um, I wish I'd had this beer before, but I had, I had not. Just so you know, these guys did show up with about 12 different beers. <laughs> so we're back to the old old school beer. Not only, yeah, is it, is it a guessing game for the food? It, it is for the beer as well. Um, I think, let, let, me, let me take a sip and I'll deconstruct the beer for you guys. <laughs> and which, which dry fontaine is it? Oh, it's the Nocturne. I, I will say this, just getting back to what you're saying, Jimmy, there is there is a certain mastery of when you're building a beer dinner, you know, you're talking about you get to the point where you're tasting a beer and you just want to sip on that beer. I mean, like a really good, 
I guess, beer dinner organizer is able to kind of like sense, all right, well, this is the time in the evening where things kind of slow down. And you can you may pair a beer or you might just have like a whatever you call it, like a digestive kind of course, you know, where you, you're just sipping and savoring. So um, there is kind of like this conductor aspect of building a beer dinner, which I think goes overlooked a lot. It's, it's underappreciated, if you're asking me. Yeah, and, and on that note, I think if, if you really want to be a good conductor and have a chef that's on board, uh, you have to play that to the audience sort of in the moment as well. Thinking back to a beer dinner I did uh, a couple of months ago with our executive chef, ABV is headquartered down in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I was down in Charlotte for this. And this is a chef who is intimately familiar with all the beers in our portfolio. So that's a real leg up right off the bat. But then we had this seated VIP beer dinner and it was built out to be a seven course event and we expected it to take two and a half to three hours. And these guys were hungry. They sat down and they ripped through the first four courses in (laughs) 20 minutes. (laughs) Thank goodness that our service staff and our kitchen was on top of it because these courses came out one, two, three, four. And it wasn't until, you know, slightly after the fourth course that people actually started to slow down and we read the room. and we Sounds like a successful meal. Oh, I mean, they all loved it, but it was uh, definitely required a little bit more orchestration and conductoring and saying, okay, now they're slowing down. Now we can sort of rein it in and let them appreciate the pairings a little bit more than they did for the first ones. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Just a question, James, uh, we've put a, a new beer in front of you. How do you, how do you think this one compares to uh, oh, the I'm previous s- pairing? We put a what beer in front of us? The Viton. The Viton. <laughs> <Vuitton. Yeah. laughs> so this, this is a Belgian pale ale, if you're asking me. Uh, it's uh, Shane brought this. Um, and I think as it drinks compared to other uh, commercial examples, you know, within this style, it's a little bit drier. I think we talked about this before. Um, and because of that, um, you're able to kind of let the duck kind of sing a little bit more. Um, but I think the ancillary components, they're not quite, they're, they're not as friendly as I would say the, the Dre Fontainen, you know? So we, what we have here is like a, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of like an exercise in two different things. You know, the first one is intensity, you know, and this one is actually. James, what, what is the style? Is it like, like a golden ale? No, I would consider it like probably a Belgian pale ale. Belgian pale ale, yeah. yeah. And, and this one sits at four and a half percent. So if you think of the other ones in this space, which is probably uh, Deconic and. Um, Palm as well. Yeah. Palma, yeah. Palm Special, uh, Bruges Zot. Um, mm-hmm. They all tend to sit a little bit higher. So I think they're, they're five, five plus. Right. This is, is, is in the 4.5% range. So I, I was curious to see how this would stand up. Knowing that it's our ABV, it's a little bit more bitterness, particularly compared to like the style we just had. Yeah. But it, it's an interesting exercise to go through. The, the duck is very strong in this. I like the fattiness and the bitterness that balances in this. But you're right, the ancillary stuff that sits around it. Yeah, I, I would think, you know, like with, with this particular style, and you know, again, this gets back to the fact that we talk about styles versus actually specific examples, you know, commercial examples. You know, it, there's not, like when I think about some of the other Belgian pales that I've had over the years, you know, there is a little bit more of like this Manuka honey. It's it's a little grassy, a little bit earthy, you know, and you've got like this kind of like buttery nut quality. I don't know if it's like Brazil nut or something. And this doesn't really have that. Look that up, you Manuka know? honey. Manuka honey, yeah. Alexa. Yeah. Absolutely. James has expensive taste. I anytime you talk about food parents with James, you're going to come away with a list of lookups. And James, the 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 Gaiken oyster, you could say Kumamoto. 
Kumamoto is a, a type of Gigas, yeah, okay. absolutely, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but it because it doesn't have like a little bit more of that oomph, you know, with lack of a better term, um, it it does kind of uh, kind of shrink in the shadows, like respectively, you know, with this particular pairing. You know, it's great. You can elevate the conversation, James. And I'm serious. I, always stop me. We like, appreciate it, it. This is this this is the table that does it. You know, like I, I got to keep up with the Joneses. To be honest with you, you know, right. coming into this, my prep was well. You know, of of course, I'm going to ask these guys. You know, what to pair with pizza or cheese and all the great things on the menu. But I've 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 my takeaway is that it's it's much more f focused and specific than that. And thanks for teaching me that we need to actually taste and talk about what we're going to pair before we just say, hey, we've got pulled pork and we've got oysters. Let's do a beer dinner, which is what I've been to before. And Please do not do a beer dinner that <laughs> offers five ty different types of beers paired with five different types of chicken wings and sauces. Please don't do that. I would sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> it depends who cooked it. I bet Robertus would do a good job of that. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So what didn't we cover on, in, in the show? I know Max, is your first time on, you know... Uh, Six point guy and ABV. I mean, we've got we, hey, we've got too many beers in front of us. We didn't even get to a third of these beers. Um, in, I guess in terms of pairing specifically, I, I think we did a good job. My main takeaway for anyone that's listening is look at the details and be willing to get a bit more granular with what you're talking about. You know, I, th I think James did a really nice job, as he always does, of giving us some great examples of that. Uh, you don't have to be intimidated by thinking about what species, what breed, you know, I love it about James again. Um, but I think if you're at home and you're saying, okay, I've never really bought into the idea of pairings, uh, you know, start small and start with saying, let's get a little bit more ambitious than red with red, white with white. Uh, and think about those details and thinking about sort of what about this salad is going to work with this beer? What about this poultry is going to work with this beer? And go from there. One thing I liked about this, what we tasted, is that we ordered from the menu. And the first three dishes we had so far are all very approachable food. We didn't have a really spicy dish. We didn't have a really sour dish. We didn't have anything extreme, which I also feel like in beer or beer pairings, people want to go for. And, um, you know... Why is that? You know, most of us eat fairly normal foods. I, I wanted to ask about pho, you know, some kind of a, a noodle soup. You know, if I'm having pho or ramen, those aren't extreme dishes at all. But I, I, I want to, uh, that's what I eat, so that's what I want to pair with. Right, James? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, if you want to ask me about pho or you want to ask me about ramen, I'm so happy to talk about that. Yeah. A, a simple pho, pork broth, you know, the classic pho, which is kind of trendy and, and mm. delicious. All right. So I won't I won't drill down too deep right now. Just uh, I would no say, do it do it James do no, it please no 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 no. So I will say all right. So like tell uh, us how udon is better. Just, uh, <laughs> how dare you? Uh, with all respect to. Udon. And afterwards we're staying for dinner in Roberta. So the conversation That's is right. just getting started. Yeah. So I would say you know like pho obviously it's it's rice noodles. You know you have like pho. this this uh, uh, like a broth which is almost as light as consomme. You know but you got like these aromatics which are like really at the forefront. Um, Black cardamom, which is ketofa, you know, you're getting a little bit more of this menthol, kind of like medicinal note to it compared to like a green cardamom, which is a little bit more minty, you know, and you, you've got these kind of earthy elements to it. I think it's nicely balanced. Oh, and also you got some rock sugar, which is important. So I like to pair pho with, uh, with a saison, you know, and, and, you know, just kind of like calling out somebody. I think Stillwater's like saison is a great example, you know, because it's, it's using, you know, like a, 
it's using like elements that really kind of echo that that rice flour, you know, that that goes into making the pho. Um, you've got these peppery notes with uh, with the actual broth, which aligns with the clove in that saison. You know, you've got a little bit of candy cotton, uh, sorry, cotton candy kind of like elements, you know, within the beer, which kind of pulls out that raw sugar in in the broth itself as well. And you got these nice little like. Uh, like the Thai basil, a little bit of cilantro, some scallions, which gives it like a little verdant quality to it, uh, which kind of, uh, it, it adds to the top of it as well. Has anyone, is there a book out there of, you know, world classic dishes that like, like we're talking about that people actually eat with pairings? I feel like the pairing aspect in any cookbook I know is always downplayed. Um, and it's usually very g- general where they're afraid to mention a specific wine. I mean, there are, there are a couple of, I don't know, specific pairings, like in terms of this. I mean, there are, but not like. Well, how about this? In your training and advanced Cicerone, master Cicerone, I know you read a lot of books. And so many of them, even when I look up Cicerone online, it's talking about how beer should pour and a lot of the basics. But at this level we're talking about, is there any resource guy that really talks about specific foods like you know, from around the world and, and what you would pair with them. The two books that always come to mind for me when I'm thinking about food pairing are the classic, you know, Garrett Oliver's Brewmaster's Table, um, which I, I don't think it's fair to call that beer, a re- that book, sorry, a resource, right? It, it's sort of half memoir, half food pairing suggestions. And it's enjoyable. And it's enjoyable. And I mean, it's, it's delicious. It's so mo- romantic. Stilton with what? Uh, Stilton with either barley wine or an imperial IPA. Thank you. I'd probably right? use that. <laughs> That's example, the only one I can ever remember. Thank you, Garrett Oliver. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's a master at food pairing, obviously. And that book is written in such a romantic way that it's enjoyable to read, not just a resource. The other one that comes to mind for me is, I think it's just called Beer and Food Pairing by Julia Hers, who's now the um, director of the American Homebrewers Association for the Brewers Association, and Gwen Conley, who's also a mastery of sensory science. Uh, that one is a little bit more resource accessible, but I... It's been a while since I've read it. I'm trying to think back to if it does exactly what you're asking for, too, Jimmy. That's okay. Shane, anything else? No, I, I think you can round up here in terms of your comment in terms of um, the stuff we tried tonight in, in that none of the food here has been exceptionally in one way. It's not been too strong. It's not been too intense. And I would say the same about the beer as well. And so if you think of that as an exercise of what we did live tonight is, okay, you've not got extreme beers, extreme beers or extreme dishes hey, don't put a square peg in a round hole, right? Yeah. It, except for what it is and say, hey, Except James, James did pick one extreme food. So you, 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 right away you saw on the menu the Anduja. Yep. We said it's the, the spicy Calabrian, Calabrian chili spiced fermented pork sausage spread. Right. It's in front of us now. We're going to taste that as we close out. Mm-hmm. Sight, without tasting it, what beer should go with this? Well, we, I think we talked earlier about um, the Southern Tier. You know, and I, I think let's let's give that a go, and let, let's see. There's going to be certain things that, on paper, may not necessarily work, but let's let's find out because I guess that's the takeaway that I'd want to, I want to like you know present to everybody is you never know until you try. You yeah, know, give it a shot because there's there's certain ancillary, there's certain tertiary kind of elements there that you you never know you know if it's going to work well or not. And and the way Roberta's it's on the menu, it's fire and ice. You got the Induja, which I remember 15 years ago, 20 years ago, was the hottest thing. And it, 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 in terms of being something new mm-hmm. and different for a chef to spice up the plate, 
that's next to the the stracciatella, which is like a fresh mozzarella type cheese that they make here. And and with their bread, Roberta's makes their own bread. So th- to me, this is the classic. Come to Roberta's, get the fire and ice, stracciatella cheese, spicy andouja pork spread, and the bread. And um, I don't think we're going to be able to say anything after this, do we? What about you, Max? This is the first time on. Uh, you're a legend already. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just happy to be here. This has been a great time. I really appreciate the invite, and I'm happy to come back whenever. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. And I love that you you, you worked your way up in the industry. It's great to see that um, there's a lot of opportunities and the beer and, and craft beverage world. And, and James, thanks for bringing. I used to these call I used to call Max the future. He's he's the now. He he is absolutely the now. Yeah. Uh, James is way too humble. Uh, him and I did a lot of studying together. When I, the year that I passed my master cicerone, and I, I wouldn't be here without his knowledge and his I think expertise. That the, the, it's not true at all. It's, the, it's absolutely true. I think that this keeps coming up, James. That if anyone studies with you, they're they're going to ace the test. I've I've joked about like you know me being the the master cicerone whisperer. No, no, no. I don't know about a professor, but it's you know. I, I think it's a fair assessment. That that's that's an important role to have, man. And you're also becoming the beer sessions radio whisperer because. You, you've helped me book some really great shows. I'm, I'm, I love coming on every single time. It's, Thanks. It's a wonderful experience. And Shane, the last time you were on with James, a big shout out to the Cicerone program. If you know who Ray Daniels is, Ray, thanks so much. You sent some kind words. Last year, last June, we had a really great show, kind of an intro to Master Cicerone, the careers you could have, and, and parent talks. And um, Anything else you want to say about the Cicerone program since uh, you know, you're at the top of it? No, I think this has been enjoying journey, and it's how I met Max and James as well. So I think it's as much as part of the journey in terms of in terms of meeting those people that you that you have a, a common interest in with, and then there's always something to talk about. I think, and then you find you know your people within that as well. So it's 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 been uh, I'm ever grateful for the program. I think because I wouldn't I wouldn't know any of you guys here to be honest. Well, so, and so. I'm going to add kudos to, to Ray Daniels and the team at Cicerone. All the Master Cicerones I've met. Um, Patrick Rue, Morela, Ryan, the other Max, these guys, this Max and, and this Shane, they're all humble. It, it, it's like yeah. you didn't get born with a silver spoon. You literally had to work your butts off to get this. And I think we can close out the show by toasting all the master cisterns out there who they're not that many, but we know how much work it takes. And, um, you know, for most of us, we will not aspire to that. We will not, that'll not be our goal. But the fact that you guys exist, it's, 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 a, it's a special brotherhood. And we know that your, your jobs are out there working with the rest of us. So don't, don't be afraid to call up a Master Cicerone and invite him out for something. Right, guys? No, I, I love that. I mean, don't, don't be afraid to reach out to one of us if you're studying for one of the tests. I've, I've made some really good friends by just reaching out to me on Instagram and saying, hey, I'm studying for my advanced Cicerone. Do you have any tips? I think tw- there are 28 Master Cicerones now, and I think 28 of 28 are very nice, cool, open people. Exactly. Max's number is 917. <laughs> <laughs> and and reach, out, reach out to Shane if you want to give him a free dinner because that's that's what he's always looking for. <laughs> hey, I'm, 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 I'm about, I'm very excited to try cinnamon spice and chili spice together. This is, <laughs> I'm glad we're going to cut off here because you need to find the answer and come to Roberta's. All right. Yes. Well, guys, thanks so much, James. 
Max and Shane, thanks so much for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our engineer, Armin Spengen. Brother, we've been together for, for a few years now. Really appreciate all the work that you do on behalf of Beer Sessions Radio and Heritage Radio Network. And I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Congrats, HRN, 15 years, and it's our 15th season, Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time. This is the 700th episode. So proud and thankful to be here at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. All right, guys. Woo! All right. Woo! All righty. Thank you. Thanks, Armin. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.